This is episode 40 of the Next Year Now podcast. Hi, I'm Erin Wathen, holistic health coach and author of Why Can't I Stick to My Diet? If you've been struggling to live a healthy life and finally conquer the roller coaster of dieting, then you need to start listening to the Next Year Now podcast with my friend Tom Hefner. Think about an, something that you desperately want to do. You really, it matters to you. You want to have that in your life and you don't. And you're not really taking the activities to do it. It's oftentimes because we don't have the level of motivation and pain is one of the most powerful motivators there is. Welcome to the Next Year Now podcast with Tom Hefner. Tom believes that if you really want to thrive at work and in life, then every day, purposeful habits and practices are vital. The Next Year Now podcast will not only help you identify and integrate these habits into your daily life, but also bring you key insights and lessons from some of the most successful people in their fields. And here is your host, Tom Hefner. Hello, and welcome to the podcast devoted to helping you thrive at work and in life. The topic of habits and practices is always front and center in our discussion, but we also explore how we use these habits and practices to improve our personal development productivity, creativity, health and well-being, business and entrepreneurship. Today we hit the jackpot. In just a moment, we'll be speaking with Jeff Woods, one of the most talented podcast hosts around, and more importantly, an expert on hacking success. If you want to improve your chances of success, then stay tuned as Jeff shares his secrets to achieving more while still living a normal life. In our conversation, Jeff and I will be discussing the secret to his success, including how he went from employee to entrepreneur in only 10 months. The one thing you can do to ensure you are insanely successful. How our habits of exercise are just as important to our success in life. Book recommendations that will help you ask deadly questions to help yourself and others. And book recommendations to help you focus your time in the best possible way. And so much more. Jeff Woods is the vice president of The One Thing. After hearing the Jim Rohn quote that you are the average of the five people you spend the most time with, it's a true statement, Jeff set out on a mission to surround himself with high-level CEOs and successful entrepreneurs. So fast forward just 10 months, and Jeff went from employee to entrepreneur, launching a company with the co-authors of the best-selling book, The One Thing. Jeff has been featured in entrepreneur.com and is on a mission to teach people how to live a life of focus so that they can have more by doing less. Jeff, thank you for joining us today and welcome to the show, my friend. Thanks so much, Tom. Glad to be here. You know what I can't get enough of? Anything and everything to do with hacking success. I mean, there's never been a better time than now to find new habits and practices to help you succeed in life and at work. And that's one of the main reasons this show exists, and that's why we're talking to Jeff Woods today. But before we dive into that discussion, let's learn more about Jeff's journey here, because I think it's pretty cool. Jeff, one of the things I found remarkable about your journey was how quickly you went from employee to entrepreneur. Talk, if you would, about that journey. What were you doing before, and what led you to pursue a career as an entrepreneur? Sure. I was in medical device sales, which was an incredible job. I really loved what I did. Yet, how many of you are in a position where you're happy doing what you're doing and you're lacking fulfillment? Mm. That's where I was. Things are good. I mean, I'm, I have a great job. I get to run through hospitals. I'm selling a device that actually saves lives. I make a great income and I'm still getting a little bored. 
I'm not fulfilled in what I'm doing. I knew I was called for more. The challenge was I had this really awesome pair of golden handcuffs on and I'm the sole <laughs> provider for uh, my wife and my brand new baby girl. Oh, so I'm not going anywhere. She, she's five now. But <laughs> back then, I remember just thinking, wow, if only I could own a business that made a massive impact in the world and deliver real security for my family, like that would be it for me. And here I am with the golden handcuffs on. So I didn't do anything. I just kept working the job. And two things happened that escalated the amount of pain in my life that forced me to make a change. And the first was a colleague of mine suffered a stroke at the age of 35. Whoa. Which as a guy who was a sole provider for a family, we had just bought a house in Orange County, which ain't cheap. And nope. now we have a child to feed. That really made me reflect. What happens to my family if something happens to me? That was very unsettling. The next week, my company needed to make a change to our commission structure to remain competitive in the marketplace. And as a result, my income got slashed by 40%. You take those two things back to back, I suddenly had enough pain in my life to really make a change. And it, you know, when your lifestyle's at a certain level and 40% of your income evaporates, the money runs out pretty quick. Pretty fast. And that's when I heard this Jim Rohn quote that you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with. I remember, Tom, sitting in my kitchen and thinking to myself, okay, what do I want? I want to be a business owner that makes a massive impact in the world and delivers real security for my family. And then I looked at the people I spent the most time with who are great people and they're all still in my life today. And I asked the question, how many of them are waking up owning a massive business that makes a massive impact <laughs> and delivers real security for their family? The answer was zero. That set me out on a journey to upgrade my five. Not to ex- ex- like expel those five from my world. They just took on a different role. They were my friends, no longer my mentors. And as a result of setting out on that mission, I ended up surrounding myself with some really amazing people. I started my first podcast called The Mentee, where I was the mentee and I was recording conversations with my mentors as a way to go from employed entrepreneur. About two weeks after launching that show, Jay Papazan, who co-authored the best-selling book, The One Thing, with Gary Keller, he was the keynote speaker at our national sales meeting. And when he came off stage, I approached him interviewed him for the podcast and a series of interactions where I kept following up trying to bring value to him. The opportunity was created for me to move my family to Austin, Texas, to turn the book, The One Thing, into a massive training and education company and to call him and Gary Keller partner. And so that's where we are today. Did you find it hard though to, because I've been in that situation. I work at, uh, I still work there even though I have my own business, but I work at the John Hopkins University Applied Physics Laboratory and you talk about the golden handcuffs and we always joke that uh, uh, APL stands for uh, adult playland because uh, you can have so much fun there. And, you know, if you like working as an engineer, you get paid really well. The benefits are incredible. I mean, for every, you know, I think it's for every dollar that you put in your retirement, they put in two and a half dollars. So pretty, pretty amazing place to work. And so did you ever find it difficult to, to like yeah. really let go to that? Cause I, that's what I like struggles that I've been through. And then I know people have having this conversation where they do have those golden handcuffs, especially where I live, where it is a pretty affluent area. People are like, I just can't let go of that. Sure. Absolutely. That was my entire career leading up to the shift. And I I used my words intentionally earlier. I did not have enough pain in my life Mm. to compel me to take action. What I'm hearing you say, Tom, is that things are really good there. You got a great (laughs) gig. 
And the fact that you have a side business tells me that something's missing. You simply don't have enough pain in your life to compel you to make the full leap. And to be clear, I'm not saying that you should Mm. or that everyone should. That was my journey. But isn't it true that think about an, something that you desperately want to do. You really, it matters to you. You want to have that in your life and you don't. And you're not really taking the activities to do it. It's oftentimes because we don't have the level of motivation and pain is one of the most powerful motivators there is. Well, let's pull the thread on that one a little bit more. Are, obviously, not everybody wants to have that painful moment. Are there other ways, other things that can motivate us to, to take that leap? I would flip and turn it to you who's listening to this. What's that one thing that will compel you to take action? What's that reason deep down when you think about it that ultimately would get you moving? We can all, if we actually take, that's a bigger question, which means it's not usually an immediate answer. If you take the time to search for the answer and you find one, uh, I would then just ask you, how often are you reflecting on that? The interesting thing about pain is when it's in your life, it is front and center. You are consciously aware of it. Mm Mm-hmm. For all those other motivators, sometimes we're just not taking the time to, to bring it to our awareness. I want to go back for a moment when you talked about uh, meeting Jay Papasan yep. and, uh, and, and how you started to kind of um, update those close five people around you. Uh, what were some of the other, I mean, cause you kind of jumped right to that, like, Hey, you know, some good things happened and, uh, this, this opportunity materialized. I got to go to Austin. Were there other, I don't know, practices, habits along the way that helped you right. to transition so quickly and successfully? Yes. So there's a great quote in the one thing from FM Alexander, people do not decide their futures. They decide their habits and their habits decide their futures. What was amazing to me was when I started getting in the room with people who were where I wanted to be, people who were light years ahead of me in business, in true wealth, in terms of impact. What blew me away is they showed up looking to give rather than looking to get. Most people, when you go to a networking event, you're walking in the door because there's something that you want to achieve. And when you're having a conversation with the person, in the back of your mind, you're wondering, can this person help me? And if the answer (laughs) is no, you find yourself kind of looking over their shoulder, seeing who else is in the room. It's natural. (laughs) Yet these people, the big fish, the high rollers, when they were in a conversation, they were present. They were looking deep into your eyes. And at any opportunity, they were trying to find a way they could bring value to you. It blew my mind, Tom, to the point that just in my bones, I remember asking the question, how can I be the type of person who naturally brings value to other people? Consider that question for a second. How can you be the type of person who naturally brings value to people? I mean, it definitely flips the script because so much of what we do every day, whether we're at work well, especially at work, right, is so much is built in like, how can I be successful on this project? Right. Or how can I be successful? It's I, I, I. And, and to right. shift the paradigm of instead of looking inward, but to look outward uh, as your worldview is, is a pretty big mind shift. I remember asking, how can I be the type of person who naturally brings value to other people? And then if you think about people don't decide their futures, they decide their habits and their habits decide their futures. What's the one habit you can form? such that by forming it would make bringing value to others easier and necessary. For me, that one thing, that lead domino that if I just knocked down would knock all the other dominoes down was when I approached a conversation, can I in the back of my mind, I don't even have to say it out loud, can I wonder to myself, 
where does this person need help and how can I help them? What was interesting about that, Tom, is when I asked that to myself as I approached a conversation, I found myself listening with more intention and I found myself looking for ways to connect the dots. Hmm. What are they working on? Where do they need help? Who do I know? What are my resources? How can I start connecting the dots? Here's how this played out with Jay Papasan, because this is truly remarkable when you go into the details. Jay's coming off stage. He's getting a standing ovation from over a thousand people in my, in my medical device company. And as everybody started to sit down, my legs would not bend. I was standing. <laughs> I'm standing there. And in my back of my, back of my mind, I'm thinking, you got to go talk to this guy right, right now. You got to go. <laughs> and then all the limiting beliefs started to seep in. Why would he talk to me? What could I possibly say to him that would make it make him interested in me? Or why would he meet with me? What could I give him that would make it worth his time? Yet, that was my mind. And my heart had a very different intention because my legs just started moving. And before you know it, I am running down the side of this room and I intercept Jay. His eyes meet mine. I reach out, I shake his hand. I say, Jay, my name is Jeff Woods. First and foremost, thank you. I just listened to you for the last hour and my mind is simply blown. I have this podcast called The Mentee. I have to share your message. What are you focusing on? Where do you need help most right now? And how can we make this a win for you? Now you have to consider I started the podcast two weeks ago, two weeks before that. <laughs> he didn't know that. And for all of you saying, yeah, Jeff, I don't have a podcast. Why do you think I started the podcast? <laughs> to have a reason to approach people in a way that could bring value to them. Oh, drop the mic. Boom. So Jay said, well, we're looking for more exposure for the book. I'd love to do an interview. Boom. Right. I'm like, yep. I'm, I'm getting a little schoolgirl. I'm so excited. And so we have the interview. And at the end of the interview, I asked the same question. What are you focusing on right now? How can I help you next? And he said, well, we're looking for more exposure for the book. He had no idea that I had formed relationships with some of the top podcasters in the world, I asked him if it would be okay if I made some introductions. He said, yeah. And so I connected him and got him featured on all of these shows. I then sent a follow-up email and said, how'd the interviews go? What are you focusing on now? How can I help you? And he said, we're looking for more exposure for the book. He had no idea that I wrote for entrepreneur.com. Hmm. I didn't even tell him I was going to write an article. I just wrote it. And when I started blasting it on social media, I tagged him and Gary. And when I saw Jay resharing my posts, I, re I retweeted back to him, what are you focusing on? How can I help you? The fourth time that I persisted to ask how I could bring value to him, he replied, Gary Keller and I are looking for a CEO for a new publishing company. I remember looking down at my scrubs and thinking, well, I'm a medical device sales guy. I'm not a publishing CEO. However, I had been spending a lot of time at events and I knew three people that were. And so I replied and said, Jay, I know three people that could be an amazing fit. Let's have a conversation so I can learn what you're looking for specifically. And I'm happy to make the right introduction. When we got on the phone, he described me. The person they were looking for was not actually a publishing CEO. They were looking for somebody with a strong sales background, with a strong finance background, who knew how to turn content into dollars. Mm. He literally described my resume. I remember sitting there in silence. Thinking, well, when's the time do I get to say, this is me, this is me? Well, I didn't do that. I said, I got some ideas. Can I call you back in a few days? <laughs> <laughs> and he said, yeah. I walked into my house and I looked at my wife and I said, honey, 
I just had a conversation. Uh, I think everything's about to change, and I bet we end up moving to Texas. And she, and she, she goes, what? And I said, hold on. And I ran to my office, grabbed my microphone, and documented the moment because I knew my whole life was about to change. That ended up becoming episode 57 of The Mentee. Ah. I called Jay back a few days later, and I said, very sincerely, I had three people in mind that I thought was thinking of connecting you to, but the person you described is me. I'm your guy. So what's the process? And that's how our relationship began. This feels like a case study for my my friend Adam Grant, his book, Give and Take. I mean, a, a really shining a example account. of how givers uh, can do so well. So here's my question, uh, because you're clearly somebody that has given a lot to others, myself included. How do you balance that tension between giving so much of yourself uh, to help other people that you burn out <laughs> or that you could burn out, right? This reminds me of a question that I asked one of my mentors early on. Remember, this guy was uber, uber successful. If you've ever seen the movie Jerry Maguire, um, he was the CEO of the largest sports agency in the world at the time that that thing was filmed. What? And yeah, yeah. So this, this guy was mentoring me early on. And I remember looking at him and I remember asking, why are you talking to me? <laughs> he said, excuse me? I said, Seriously, why are you talking to me? We keep meeting every two weeks. Why? He said, oh, easy. You give me a great return on my investment. And as he explained, he said, you know, have you ever received a gift at the holidays that really matter to you? And I said, yeah. He said, have you ever given a gift to someone else at the holidays that really matter to them? I said, oh, yeah. He said, which was more valuable, you receiving the gift or you giving a gift and seeing the impact? I said, hands down, giving. He said, yeah, it's better to give than to receive. Receive. He goes, as much value as you get from these conversations, it pales in comparison to the value that I get. He said, and the key here, the reason you give me a return is because when I make an investment in you, I'm investing my most valuable resource, more valuable than money, my time. I'm investing my time in you. And unlike most people who would just say thank you and do nothing, you go and take action. And then you come back and say, you told me to do X. I went and did it. Here's the result I got. Thank you. May I ask for more help? He goes, I invest in you and you come back and you give me a return on that investment. I'm going to keep on investing as long as you keep on bringing the returns. So to answer your question, Tom, I never got sick of it because truth is every time I helped somebody, it uh, filled my soul in a completely different way. I had a conversation on the One Thing podcast with a guy named Keith Cunningham. We broke it out into two episodes. It's um, uh, the habit that was worth um, losing $100 million over or something like those lines. This guy literally lost $100 million and we talked about the one Ooh. habit that he formed that made it all worth it. And I remember him saying something really profound. He said, success is getting what you want. Fulfillment is giving others what you've got. So let's fast forward to today, Jeff. I want you to put your podcasting hat on for a moment. You interview some of the most successful people in the world. I mean, these are world-class experts to uncover the one thing that has fueled their success. Looking back on that experience, what have been the two or three most effective habits or practices you've you've discovered to help drive success? The first one was delivered to me um, 
through an accountability two by four in the first 90 days of starting this business with Gary Keller and Jay Papazan, um, there were three things that I was being assessed on that I had to prove I could do in the first 90 days where I was fired. First was the ability to cast a vision for our business because Gary Keller's one thing is being chairman of Keller Williams, the real estate company. Jay Papazan's one thing is writing books. If they had to do the thinking for this business, then I didn't earn the right to keep my job. Second thing was I had to prove that I could lead with revenue. They issued me the challenge of generating $100,000 out of thin air in 90 days or less. And the third <laughs> is I had to prove that I could recruit and retain amazing talent. That all had to be done in 90 days. Ready, set, go. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, no big so, deal. No big deal. <laughs> yeah. So um, I'm still here. So I did it. So here's what happened. I remember our first state of the company meeting. Uh, the purpose of the meeting was for me to share my business plan, my vision for our business with Gary and Jay and get them to sign off. Now, you have to consider who I'm presenting to. Gary Keller started the largest real estate company in the world. When you, He's the Elon Musk of real estate. Yeah. I mean, when we were going to buy our house, I saw Keller Realty signs everywhere. <laughs> yeah. So that's that's Gary, right? I'm sitting in front of a titan of industry pitching him my vision for our company. And I got to get him to say yes. And I'm like 45 days out of scrubs. So <laughs> that was slightly intimidating. My business plan was very simple. We have a, a form for this. It's called a GPS. It's a one page business plan. You got a goal at the top and based on your goal for the year, you get three priorities. It's not everything that you can do. It's the handful of things, that, the handful of true priorities that would make accomplishing the goal easier or unnecessary. And the priorities are in order of priority, meaning one matter, matters more than two, two matters more than three. So we start talking about priority number one. Gary and Jay asked a bunch of questions. I answered them. I remember asking, we good? They said, yeah. I started talking about number two. About halfway through number two, Gary started asking some questions about number one again. I didn't think anything of it. I just answered the questions. <laughs> said, are we good? He goes, yeah. So I finish up number two. I start talking about number three. Gary goes back and starts asking more questions about number one. You ever seen Meet the Parents, Tom? Yeah, you know the circle of trust? Yeah, the circle of trust. <laughs> yeah, I felt like I was out of it. <laughs> Why does he keep talking about number one? But he did. I thought we were good. I thought we were good here. I answered the questions. I said, we good? He goes, yeah. I'm talking about number three for no more than 10 seconds and he stops me a final time and I'm going, oh man, here we go. This is it. I'm getting canned. <laughs> he asks me a series of questions. Do you need to accomplish number three in order to accomplish number two? I said, no. He said, do you need to accomplish number two in order to accomplish number one? I said, no. He said, do me a favor. Um, draw a line between number one and number two or even better, rip the page in half. Don't even think about number two and number three until you've earned the right to by mastering number one. Don't even think about number two and number three until you've earned the right to by mastering number one. It was in that moment, Tom, that I realized I had been violating the number one lie of productivity, the lie that everything matters equally. Hmm. Even though none of us would say that of all the things that are on our place, they don't all matter equally. Checking email does not matter equally to meeting with your number one client. Sitting in a random meeting does not matter equally to having a conversation about your career advancement. They do not matter equally. Yet how many of us go through our days doing all the things that don't matter, hoping to free up time for the things that matter most? Evidence when you have that day that you worked really hard and then you look up and wonder if you even got anything done. That was my first 45 days or so. 
I had been focusing on everything equally, telling myself the story that I had to move the ball in all the areas. And Gary is saying, "Uh uh-uh, until your number one priority is done, everything else is a distraction. I then went on a 66-day challenge which is our model for forming power habits that stick. I had this big 66-day challenge calendar, which has 66 spots on it. So every day I did my one thing, I could put a big red X on it, which if you guys go to the onething.com, that's with the number one, click on free stuff, you can see it there. And the habit was very simple. Can I check my 411, which is our tool for having clarity on your priorities before I check my email? Before I open my inbox, can I at least check that tool that clearly shows these are your priorities before you open your inbox and see everyone else's priorities. You fast forward 66 days, that is a habit. I thought in order of priority. I acted in order of priority, meaning I did the things that mattered most first before I earned the right to sit in that meeting, before I earned the right to check the email, before I earned the right to say yes when somebody asked, hey, do you got a minute? And what was amazing is the halo effect of that. All of a sudden, I'm getting more work done in less time, and I'm less stressed because it's all that 80% noise that's all urgent that doesn't actually move the needle that creates stress in your life. All of a sudden, I, I got my most important work done, and then I could go and actually live my life with my family. That was probably the most painful lesson and and probably my most stubborn habit to break for the last 10, you know, last 10 years. I was one of those people that maybe I was, uh, you ever hear of like FOMO, fear of missing out? Of course. Yeah. Right. So that was such a hard thing for me to wrap my head around. I came from, you know, this middle-class family where hard work was rewarded, hard work was praised. And I was just like, I'm just going to work more. I'm going to work harder. And it's funny that you mentioned that, or it's ironic that you mentioned that because I've had a few people on the show um, that have shared something similar, right? Drill it down to the most essential. And it took me a while to to really embrace that. And I think, you know, just in pe- working with the people that I do and, and friends and family, like that's a really, really hard one for us to to embrace and I'll say at least from my experience, you know, maybe not as successful as yours, but by embracing that prioritization, definitely it made me more successful. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I remember there was a mastermind Gary was doing for some of the top agents in the world. And he said something that made everyone's head spin. He paused, he looked out of the room and he said, you know, working hard is cheating. And everybody cocked their head to the side. We're like, what? And he said, working hard is cheating because you can do the wrong activities. And if you work hard enough, you can muscle your way to a result. It's cheating because you end up cheating yourself out of what it means to live a life. You can work 80, 100 hour work weeks and quote, be successful financially maybe, but you end up missing dinner with your family. You end up skipping the gym. You end up missing out on spirituality, you end up not investing in the relationships that matter most. All the things that actually matter in life, uh, you, you neglect. And that's why it's cheating. If you want to live an extraordinary life, you be as efficient and as effective as possible during the hours that you choose to work. And at a pre-prescribed time, you shut it down and you go and you live your life. Case in point, my first 90 days, I'm the, the CEO of a startup company. Do you think I should be working 40 hours a week? 
50 hours a week? Most people would say no. Yet Jay told me, if we see you in the office past 5 p.m., people are going to start looking at you like you're crazy because I get it. You're in startup mode. You're trying to prove yourself. At the same time, we don't want you to burn out. And we also know that if things fall apart in your personal life, if your marriage suffers, there's no way you can show up and build a great business. So make sure you strike that counterbalance. Well, let's pull the thread on that a little bit more because I think what you're getting at there is a really important part of living a well-lived life is this idea of wellness and health. And I think one of the most underrated productivity and success practices are those that deal with health. You know, so often we forget about that part of the success equation, right? Yeah. And look, you know, I'm not, you know, preaching here. Like I'm guilty of this at times as well, too. But looking back on your experience, uh, both with with that group and also just, you know, as a as a podcast host, what have been the best uh, health tips, insights or, or habits that you've uncovered? I think the best way I can share this is through a story of a woman named Peggy that we worked with. She, when she first, she and I at least got introduced, she had just gone through a really rough period in her life. Her husband of many decades had passed away, her best friend, unexpectedly. And she found herself on the East Coast completely lacking direction and just lost and ready for a reset. Mm. So she moved out to Laguna Beach started a brand new business. This was going to be the second chapter of her life. And that's when we started working together. I remember asking her, you know, Peggy, if you look at all the areas of your life, your spirituality, your physical health, your personal life, your relationships, your job, your business, your finances, if you could only focus on forming a power habit in one area first, what's the one area that you can focus on that would make everything else easier or unnecessary? And she chose her business. She said, I just moved out here. I just want to pour myself into this new business, this next career. That's going to make everything else easier and necessary. We said, great. What's the one thing you can do such that by doing it would make everything else easier or unnecessary when it comes to your business? And she said, lead generation. Because if I do, if I generate enough leads, I'll have enough business. That makes everything else easier and necessary. Said, awesome. And so she went on a 66-day challenge to forming the habit of lead generating every day, identifying her most important activity and making it a habit. What was interesting is about four weeks in to her 66-day challenge of lead generating, she began to notice she was always tired when she was making her calls. And she also noticed that when she was in front of potential clients, she really lacked confidence. And all of a sudden, the dots got connected. The reason she was tired was because she was out of shape. And the reason she lacked confidence is because for decades, she had acquired some very unhealthy eating habits. And when she looked in the mirror, she didn't actually respect the woman that she saw looking back at her. It was four weeks in to taking action that she realized the one thing she could do with her for her business actually had nothing to do with her business. It had to do with her health. She needed to transform it. And the one thing she could do to transform her health was to work out more regularly. And the one thing she could do to work out more regularly was to sign up for a boot camp class because she would have money on the line, a time, and a place to be there. And the one thing she could do to make sure she showed up to the boot camp class was to be in her gym clothes and out the office door by 5.33 p.m. That was the one thing. Hmm. The one thing that she could do such that by doing it, such by being in her gym clothes and out the office door would make getting to the boot camp class easier or unnecessary. And if she got to the class, she's more likely to work out. And if she worked out, she was more likely to transform her health. You see how those dominoes lined up? Mm-hmm. Here's what's amazing. You fast forward six weeks, Peggy drops 20 pounds. The most impressive part 
is she completely transforms her vision of herself. All of a sudden, when she's making her calls, she has more energy, which as a result means she sets more appointments. And when she's in front of her appointments, she has more confidence. What do you think happens when you have more appointments and you're more confident and energetic in front of prospects? That batting average goes up. That batting average goes up. Not only did she transform her health, she transformed her business. Because when you do one thing, the right thing, it topples over many things. I always find it interesting that when I look at success, and I read a lot about uh, people that have been very successful, whether they're famous or not, that oftentimes the source of their success, that one thing, is not what you expect. I never would have expected that. And I, and when you started that story, I'm like, oh, where's he going with this? But that just tracks with the, you know, the examples and stories I've read before. I guess I shouldn't have been surprised. <laughs> Gary has this saying of thinking big and going small. Most people do the opposite. They think big and they act big. They have big visions, big goals, and then they try to act big by doing it all. And they end up feeling like a failure. The opportunity is to think big and to go small, to have a big vision of transforming your business or transforming your health, and then to ask that focusing question that you've heard me say a few times, what's the one thing I can do such that by doing it, everything else will be easier or unnecessary? And you keep asking the question until you've narrowed it down to a two-inch domino that you absolutely can knock over. Mm. And just like when you line up dominoes, if you knock down the first one, it should knock down everyone after it. So it's not work out five days a week. What's the one thing you can do to work out five days a week? Sign up for a class. What's the one thing you can do to be the class? Be in my gym closing out the office door by 5.33 p.m. Okay, I can do that. That's when you know you've got the right domino. Jeff, before I move on to the last part of the show, is there anything else I'm missing, something I haven't asked you about that you think, hey, look, this would be important for us to know? These concepts are simple. In fact, on the cover of the one thing, it says the surprisingly simple truth behind extraordinary results. Notice it does not say the surprisingly easy truth, <laughs> yeah. right? The ideas of be the type of person who brings value to other people. Get clarity on the thing that matters most. Do that first. Have a big vision and then just keep asking a question until you get it down to a really small thing that you can do consistently and make it a habit. These are all simple and they're seldomly done. Part of this is people do not go small enough. And the other part is we let the idea of perfection get in the way of what's possible. We have this idea of being perfect when it comes to always adding value to other people first, always having clarity on what matters most, always doing our one thing first, always knocking that lead domino down. These are all simple things and we think we should be perfect. And that idea of perfection stops us from attaining what's possible. Here's why. I'm getting mentored directly by Gary and Jay on a regular basis, and I have never had a day that I have been perfect living my one thing. I've never had a day that I've acted perfectly in order of priority. I, I run the whole company behind the book, and I have failed every day <laughs> living my one thing. The key is it's about a road to mastery. And the moment we begin to see mastery as a path we go down rather than a destination we arrive at, it starts to feel attainable. You're a master of what you know and you're an apprentice of what you don't. So I think the important thing here is to look at where you are. To honestly ask, how am I doing? What's my baseline today? And how do I do 
just a little bit better tomorrow. Don't set the bar for perfection because you will fail and you can only fail for so long before you just give up because you don't want to have to feel like a failure. So think big and go small. It's time for my favorite part of the show. And this is where we talk about what I think is one of the best habits we can adopt today. And that's the habit of reading. I want you to think about the books you've really enjoyed over the years. Maybe these are books that when you're at, I don't know, when you're at the the holiday party with your family, people ask for, hey, you know, what, what were some good book recommendations? What are the two or three that stand out for you? Sure. Well, I, I have two or three that are standing out for me now <laughs> and have over time. The preface is they stood out for me because it's the message I needed at my point, that point in time in my life. We already talked about the importance of having clarity on your priorities and acting in order of priority and that lie that everything matters equally. People viol- violate that lie when it comes to content. People treat content consumption like it matters equally. They just read whatever comes up or listen to whatever podcast sounds good. Yet let's flip it on its head. Out of everything that's going on in your world, where are you struggling most? Or what's that one area that if you could only focus on one, that's the area you got to focus on sharpening the saw first. Then go search for the content that helps you go down your road to mastery in that area first. With that said, I have been on a road to mastering asking deadly questions, questions that are so big that you do not naturally have an answer. They require you to think and go deep. And the reason I am on a road to mastering asking great questions is because I know that's the lead domino that will make everything else easier or unnecessary when it comes to building an empire in business and in relationships. If I can ask great questions, I can teach people how to think so they can get what they need when they need it. And that's our definition of leadership. So there are a few books that come to mind. First is Fierce Conversations by Susan Scott. I have been intentional about surrounding myself with the right people. I read her book. It blew me away. I hunted Susan down. (laughs) Episode 100 of the One Thing podcast. Listen to it because I interview her and then she turns the tables on me. And I end up in tears on the episode. It was... Really profound of I've done probably close to 400 podcast episodes between the mentee and the one thing in my career. It's probably the best one I've ever done. So that's worth it. Um, Second one is called multipliers by Liz Wiseman. Same story. It's about how do you become a multiplier um, when you may accidentally be diminishing the possibilities of the people in your world hunted her down. (laughs) We just had an episode. So very good. Um, I've seen a pattern here. (laughs) Yep. Yep. Keith Cunningham, the guy who um, the habit that cost a hundred million dollars to learn and why it was worth it, wrote a book called The Road Less Stupid. So it's about how do all the mistakes that he made losing $100 million, and he has 704 deadly questions in that book. Wow. I would suggest that one. If you haven't read The One Thing, I would scratch everything I've said, and I would read that first because it's the highest rated business book of all time, and there's a reason for that. And um, I would also suggest... Robert Kiyosaki's cash flow quadrant. A lot of people know Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Mm-hmm. Cash flow quadrant, I think, is his best one. And that's the book where I heard you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with and set me on this whole journey. Well, so here's a here's a book offer for you. Um, I don't know if you've read it or not, but there's a book called A More Beautiful Question by Warren mm. Berger. And given that you are trying to figure out how to ask these really powerful, deadly questions, I think you might dig that. Uh, it's more of a macro level in terms of talking about uh, the importance of inquiry and how, you know, what is a beautiful question and how do we ask questions and things like that. Um, and it has a tie nice. into design thinking, which that's my background. Uh, and that's what I do professionally. Uh, but I think you'll dig it. Awesome, man. Thank you. 
Cool. Well, look, final question. Uh, what are you working on now that you're really excited about? Oh, <laughs> yeah, baby. Um, so this is what's been really cool. I've been building this business around the one thing for about two and a half years, and it has just started to scale, and it's so exciting to see the impact that we're making. And we have also started to realize that there's a better way to do things, which um, you hear of companies having to reinvent themselves. We're in the middle of getting to press the reset button, Mm -hmm. getting to ask a question like, what's the business that's going to put us out of business? And how do we go and build it first? And so we're in the process of interrogating everything we do and asking, is this a 20% item that's going to give us 80% of the results or is this an 80% item that really doesn't move the needle? And we're getting to evolve the company so that we just continue to, to touch and reach more people. And that's, that's what I'm most excited about right now. Fantastic. Look, Jeff, this has truly been an amazing conversation. I just want to say thank you. I'm taking away some just absolute gold mine nuggets here. And I know uh, the rest of our listeners are as well. Awesome. Well, Tom, thank you so much for having me on. I really appreciate it, man. You can connect with Jeff Woods online at theonething.com. That's spelled out T-H-E-1-T-H-I-N-G.com. And on Twitter using his Twitter handle at theonethingbook. All the links and resources Jeff and I discuss, including a link to the One Thing resources like the 66-Day Challenge Calendar and the 411 Excel template, can be found at the page created just for this episode. You'll find it all at nextyearnowpodcast.com slash four zero. And finally, just a reminder, if you like the show and enjoy learning from our guests each week, please consider giving us a rating and review on iTunes. It helps us stay relevant and findable by listeners like you. That's it for today. I'll see you next time. Happy 4th of July, everyone.